Hello, everyone. We have several great features today that we are excited to share with you. You all are very familiar with our friend Sarah Bolton with Sitting Pretty Home Decor. We have her on today, as well as a special guest straight from her own home. And this special guest is a prize sponsor for the Zebra Review this month of September 2020. We also have a few surprise messages for our September featured artist, Courtney Weisel. And we hear some great frugal tips from our friend Patty with Midlife Revival. This is Zebra's Before and After. I'm your host, Lane Ball. I think most of you would agree that if you are an artist in some form and you love to create, which most of you do, you enjoy seeing art from other industries. Today, we have the pleasure of learning about the art of hand-turning wood bowls and to top it off, you could possibly win one of these bowls. Stay tuned for our fun and insightful interview. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Lane? Oh, I'm doing really good. I'm looking forward to a little bit cooler weather um, because it's been pretty hot. So it's nice to, uh, to have the fall season upon us. We have a special guest on our podcast today, and I thought it would be fun to have you do the honors of introducing our guest. So who is this special guest, Sarah? Well, he is funny and furry, and he is my partner <laughs> in paint, uh, children, and life. <laughs> and I think his name's Gary. Hey, that's me. Hello, everybody. <laughs> I hope you received that very warm welcome from your lovely wife. I certainly I got goosebumps. <laughs> that's <Aww>. a good thing. <laughs> Well, I know we have chatted before, Sarah, about having you and Gary on together. So it's great that we have made it happen today. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm excited too. I uh, I can't tell if he's excited or nervous or both. Still partly asleep. <laughs> He'll be awake shortly here. You know, I feel like <laughs> I know you guys so well through Instagram, of course, and our many conversations on the podcast. I really love the opportunity that this job affords of getting to know people that obviously because of distance I would not know otherwise so it's it's really great to to get to chat with you guys so are you guys like high school sweethearts what's the story there oh can I tell the story Gary <laughs> he hates it when I tell it <laughs> <laughs> go for it I'm not gonna stop you <laughs> well I actually met him at a party that he had I was 19 he was I think like 22 although I thought he was 40 when I met him um because he just had a beard and he also was, you know, 22 and he had, you know, his own house with an in-ground pool. So he must have been old. <laughs> wow, an um, in-ground pool at 22? Uh, yeah. So that's why he had all the parties. <laughs> that's right. You know, you mentioned beards that, you know, I've had a beard a couple of times, but that's the one thing I don't like about beards is that they tend to age you, you know, and I'm at that age where I don't want to look older than what I already am. So if Gary was at 22 with a beard, that was all cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, when he when he um cuts it too short or shaves it off, I'm like, "Oh, now you look too young. Put it back." <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Gary, enjoy that because that won't last long. <laughs> it fits in with my old and grumpy. It works really well. Those two go hand in hand, don't they? Well, you know, if you want him to be a little more jovial, then just cut his beard off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> Lane said so. Hey, listen, you know, uh, I have nope. I have to add this about beards. So I have, you know, one of my cousins, she married this guy that had a beard when she met him. 
And I think it was about three or four years into their marriage, he decided one morning that he was going to cut his beard off. And he did. He didn't say anything to her about it. And she had never seen him without a beard. And so that morning after he cut his beard off, she sees him and she literally starts crying. She was so upset because it wasn't Aww. who she married. <laughs> Can you believe? <laughs> That's so sad. It, it was a shocker. All, I mean, they made it through it. He grew his beard back and everything's fine now. But I just thought that's that's funny. That's funny when you when you have a beard, when you get married and then you shave it off. It's like, man, you you didn't realize that's what the person looked like. So, Gary, maybe you better keep not, the beard on. <laughs> that's not what I signed up for. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. So you guys lived in Kentucky. Then you moved to Indiana. So we have seen you guys on Instagram change so many things. I mean, you've done some major, what looks to be like some pretty good renovations to your home. It's really beautiful now. Are you guys liking your new place? Oh my gosh. Yes. It's so nice. It's so quiet. Uh, we really, <laughs> we really make a lot of people, uh, Gary's work, um, frustrated because their wives watch us on Instagram and then they go to their husbands that Gary works with and they're like, why aren't you doing this? I want to put up shiplap. I want to paint all the walls. And they're like, no, quit, quit watching them. Oh man. Yeah. So is this something you, do you guys both enjoy doing this? I mean, so, I mean, it's obviously, I mean, something you do pretty regularly and you guys do a phenomenal job. Do you, do you, I should, I should say this, Gary, do you enjoy doing it? <laughs> I, I do. I, I thoroughly enjoy doing it. I, I grew up, my dad is a 40 some odd year cabinet maker. So I've been in a cabinet shop since I was about eight. So woodworking's in my bloodline. So Sarah's just opened up the opportunity for me to do it in more of a modern setting and yeah. really, really brought horizons of what I can do, not just making cabinets or making this or making that. It's like there's, it's endless. So yeah. my, my thing with Sarah is I've always said she comes up with the idea, I make it work. And yeah. it works out really, really well that way. Wow. What a, what a good balance. Yeah. I was going to ask you that if she's totally the idea person, but I'm sure you have opinions. Do you throw those opinions out to her when, when you're working on this stuff? Yes. Because sometimes it's like the house will fall over if we take that out. So. <laughs> yeah. Like a load bearing wall. <laughs> let's, let's not remove yeah. that wall. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, we can't, you know, there's no plumbing in this room. We cannot put a bathroom here. And it's like, no, there's <laughs> things where I kind of have to go, okay, that won't work. But figure out ways to compromise and make it work. So, but yeah, it, it usually she comes up with a really big idea and I go, hmm, well, that would probably not work. So let's see how this will really work. He's really developed an eye over the years too. Like he has a really good eye for color and patterns. And sometimes like I'm not seeing something and he says something and, like we just put an 11 foot church pew in our living room and I could not figure out what to put there. And he was like, what about a big church pew? I was like, you're a genius. <laughs> now, did you already have the church pew or did you have to go find it? He said church pew. I got a marketplace. It was the first one on there. It fit our wall perfectly. He went and picked it up like 45 minutes later. It was just like, oh, it man. just happened. You know, I had to drive to the middle of nowhere to get <laughs> I meet some interesting people when you go pick up things on the internet. And those were, those were pig farmers who were selling the church pew from their front porch. And it was about an hour drive. And I had a good time up there talking with the pig farmers. So it was on their front porch. Now, how old was it? Like, was it, is, was it in good shape? I mean, if it was on the front porch, it's obviously getting some weather. It, but I like how weathered it is. It just kind of adds to the charm of it. 
but it's not weathered to the point it's lost its structural integrity, right? No, no, I hope not. It's not just a decor piece. Like, do you have a sign that says, do not sit on this bench? <laughs> no. Strictly for, strictly for looks, right? So Gary's sister and her husband, they do not have children that they have and they collect antique furniture and they have a bench in their dining room that's got cane on it. And uh, they failed to mention that the seat was not intact and our 10 year old uh, fell through it when he sat oh, on no. it. <laughs> <laughs> no, were they upset? No, I don't think they cared, but I think they yeah. just felt bad. It was like, oh, yeah, whoops, I forgot to tell you, you can't sit on that. You know, that just doesn't occur to them without, you know, little ones running around. <laughs> Wow. Now, so if they're into antiques, now, do they do refinishing or do they leave that up to you? Do they find pieces and say, hey, Sarah, can you refinish this piece for us? No. Um, actually, his dad um, collected them for years um, and they just like everything in their original state. I mean, he had some really cool, like very gothic um, medieval stuff, you know, big uh -huh. claw feet with the glass balls. And yeah. um, and they've just left everything the way it is. Oh wow! I bet that is really fascinating. It really is. They've got some. They've got like a huge. I don't even know what you would call it. Maybe like a break front or an armoire, and the whole front of it's just hand carved with all these scenes. Yeah, those are the those are the kind of things that I mean. It they're like treasures when you find them, and they're so rare and unique that uh, they're just they're just hard to locate. I bet they're excited to have those. Oh yeah. Well, we are pretty excited this month because Gary has a side business called Gary's Big Bowls. And from the name of the business, you can deduct that he hand turns wooden bowls. Okay, Gary, is this a hobby you have done for some time? I know you said you grew up with your dad as a cabinet maker, but tell us how it started and when you created the business. So my dad retired earlier this year and he cleaned out his shop. And he said, I got an old wood lathe down here in this basement. You want it? I said, bring it on. I'll give it a whirl. So... I bought this thing to a bench out here in the garage and throw a piece of wood in. I said, well, the worst I can do is mess it up. So I started messing with it. And I made my first bowl. I gave it to Sarah. And Sarah's like, what is this? I, when did you become able to do this? I'm like, ooh. So I kind of <laughs> took off the But like any hobby, you, you can't stop with what you have. You got to get bigger and better and you know new stuff and everything like that. So immediately it was hours of YouTube and hours of Googling and I bought myself a, an upgraded lathe that was more modern and better tools, and it's kind of taken off from there. So describe for our listeners, just those who maybe don't really know a lot about a, uh, a lathe, but explain the different elements of it. So in other words, like you, you just start with a big chunk of wood, you hook it onto this lathe, and it turns it, correct? Is that how it all works? Yeah, that's the general gist of it. Uh, I, you, you, I, talk, I start off with a log, and I take a chainsaw to a log, and I cut a piece of wood out of the center of it that's about three inches thick. And then I cut a circle out of it on a bandsaw. And uh, you bolt this thing to a plate that attaches to the lathe. And you kind of turn it round. You make it to where it's true and round. And you cut a dovetail on the end of it. And you put spin around and you hook it onto a chuck. And then you hollow the bowl out. And that's the, the simple way of describing how this works. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. it. So, but the turning, when you, when you've got this thing, when it's actually turning this wood, you, you've got like, um, you've got tools that you're using that shape it. Correct. Uh, I have, uh, I'd say about a dozen different tools I can choose from depending on profile or shape or speed or even species of wood that you're working with. Because some of your yeah. harder woods are really difficult to cut, but some of your 
softer woods will cut, but it leaves a really bad finish. So you, you have a whole lot of options. And you just kind of have to pick what feels right, what's doing the cut the way you want it, and just go for it. How long, I mean, this is probably a crazy question because I'm sure it depends on the design of the bowl, but like how long does it take to hand turn a bowl from start to finish? I mean, roughly. If I throw one on the lathe, uh, when I first started, it was over four hours because I was scared of it and I didn't know my speeds very well and I didn't know what I was really doing. Uh, I can get one done now, uh, roughed out to finish in about 90 minutes. And that's if, that's with distractions and breaking up fights and, you know, everything else. <laughs> Stop throwing your sister with the garden hose and you go back to work. And, you know, it's, it's about 90 minutes is about how long it takes. You know, I thought you were referring to when you said breaking up fights, I thought that was like customers, like dimming for which, you know, wanting that bowl that you're working <laughs> on. <at the> time. <laughs> you, you don't have that kind of demand yet? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm already, there, there's been several people who are like, is that one for sale? I'm like, you got to talk to the wife. And they're like, why does she have to keep all of them? <laughs> you know, that uh, seriously, though, that is true, though, when it comes to any kind of art form, don't you think? I mean, unless you're just you've been so far along in it that it becomes like you kind of get used to everything and, you know, you're ready to move on and start making money with it. But, you know, because everything's so unique and I'm sure that's the way it is with these bowls and you create this really beautiful bowl and you don't want to part with it. So do you have like a whole kitchen full of these things, Sarah, or just displayed all over the house? Yeah, kitchen, shelving unit downstairs. They're in every room. And <laughs> and then he brings one to me and I'm like, oh, well, that looks like that one. But it, the, the sap wood and it's a little bit different. Like, oh, I think I need that one, too. <laughs> He's like, OK. Yeah, I see one, two. I see three of them just in our bedroom. Well, you just need to put price tags on them. Just look the other way, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you're talking about. Eventually sell it. <laughs> that's right. Then you'll put a price tag on it. You know, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're talking about the, the different types of wood. Like, I, I, and I don't know. I don't know a lot about wood, but I do know things like hickory is really hard and poplar is soft. And like, are, are you? Is there a specific wood that's just most ideal? Because you're talking about that balance between too hard or too soft. I, for the most part, I take anything anybody's willing to give me for free. Uh, I have ash. I have maple. I have poplar. Walnut, uh, I'm trying to think of cherry. I have more cherry I know what to do with. Black locust? Black locust. There's one there I'll never mess with ever again because that's like trying to turn a concrete block. Really? Uh, oh, my gosh. Yes, this stuff, it goes from wet and green to concrete uh -huh. block in no time, and you can't really do anything with it. So yeah. it's, it's as hard as hickory. So it takes the fun out of it when you have to fight with it and fight with it. Yeah. And it's like this is... This is supposed to be fun, so if if you kind of stay with your your walnuts and your cherries, maples, even ash, which is somewhat of a harder wood, you kind of stick with that. You, you don't have as much stress fighting with the with the bowl as much, so basically, it's a lot more fun. Do you, where does walnut fall into the hardness? I mean, walnut's pretty hard, isn't it? Uh, walnut is actually fairly malleable. Uh, it's not really? as soft as poplar. Yes, but it is nowhere near as hard as oak. Uh, but walnut is a lot of fun to turn because I like to turn green, and that is kind of fresh from the from the tree, and mm -hmm. it comes off really pretty, like spaghetti style strings, and it comes off real nicely, and it just it turns really really well. Turning it and it's green versus it's been sitting, you know, for a long period of time and it's dried out. How does that affect it 
do you have to let it sit for a long time and let it let the bowl dry out before you put any coatings or anything on it? Like, what's that like? So what I do is I'll turn it green and I'll finish polish it all the way to, you know, 400 grit sandpaper and then put a finish on it. And then I let nature take over because that bowl will warp and change shape and move however it wants to. And you'll never find anything like it ever because it becomes just that unique because nature, nature got a hold of it and did what it wanted to. Yeah. So it, it places where it looks like a, just a regular store-bought bowl and it's changed shape and it's, you know, it's got waves in it and it's oblong and everything like that. And it really makes it a piece of art and people seem to really appreciate that a lot more. Yeah, no, I mean, it, just you describing it, uh, makes it sound uh, really cool. Now, do you, um, have you, has it ever changed shape to the point of like cracking? Oh yeah. I've had them crack on the lathe. Uh, which you have to watch because it likes to throw things at you if it cracks while it's on the lathe. And yeah. then uh, I have a couple couple bowls that are sitting on top of the refrigerator. I'm just waiting for them to fall apart so I can put them in the firewood pile. They're they're trying to crack all the way through. They're they're basically done. So they they will they'll they'll do what they want to kind of thing. So I guess once they do crack, uh, I mean I don't know though because some bowls. I mean I would imagine a lot of these are just for design. You know to sit as coffee table pieces or, you know, to put something in it that's not wet or liquid, I would think that would still be desirable, right? Even if it's got a crack in it. As long as it's structurally sound, it's not when you pick it up and it's falling apart. Yeah, there's, it's still desirable. Uh, usually if it cracks on the lathe, I won't turn it anymore. So I don't catch a big piece yeah. of wood to the forehead. So it will, usually yeah. those are, they look very incomplete, but yeah, I don't, I don't try to make bowls that are meant for food, food grade because you, you never know who's going to put something in that'll react to your finish and then get sick. Yeah, right. So you better off having them as a as a decor item, and that's it. And I, I mean, I, I would think that's what most people want them as anyway. Now, you you talked about the danger of it. Um, have you ever been inflicted with a, a big chunk of wood popping back at you? Uh, I've said over the years I have learned to get out of the way, and uh, I've gotten fairly good at it, but. Uh, in wood turning at a thousand RPMs, it will shoot the piece of material down. Anything above a thousand, it throws the material up. So you have to be very mindful of your speed and what yeah. it is you're trying to do. Because if it's down, you're you're going to be out of the way and you're in the clear. But if it's up, it's coming for you. So you, you kind of have to be mindful of what you're trying to do, what the wood is doing, and your speeds, your feeds, and everything like that. So I've been lucky. I haven't caught a, a bolt of the head yet. I've had a few of them try but I have, I've been lucky so far. Wow, man, I didn't realize, I mean, you know, any kind of um, working with tools, you know, obviously can be dangerous, but I didn't realize that I never even thought about that. Sarah, do you, have you ventured in there to use the lathe? No, he, he tried to get me. Uh, no, I have no interest at all. I don't know what it is about it. I mean, cause it's very, I imagine it's very therapeutic and it's like artsy and creative, but mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> is it is seriously though? Is it because of the potential danger, or is it just you just flat out just don't have interest in it? Yeah, probably part of it. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of an anxious person. Um, I don't know what it is. Um, our our ten year old son has shown a huge interest in it, and he's Gary will you know get behind him and you know hold the tool with him. Yeah. Um, and he's been watching YouTube videos on it. Um, and he's a lot like me. He's the one that you know likes doing furniture with me. Um, so yeah, maybe it's the the whole like mechanical machine tool part of it. 
Man, it's just, it's so fascinating here. You guys talk about it. Uh, let, let's, let's dive into the design part of it. So my question with the design is when you get a piece of wood and you start working with it, do you already have in your head what it, what you want it to look like? Or is it one of those things that it just sort of forms as you're working on it? Well, I guess my best way to describe it is if you've ever set out to make an omelet and you go to fold it, and you just got that perfect shape going, and then suddenly you're having scrambled eggs. That's bolter. <laughs> that is a that is a really good descriptive way to describe it. <laughs> it's kind of like that with furniture too. So you can start off with you can think, hey, I'm going to make it look like this, and then one slip of the tool or one piece of wood that cuts funny or anything, and suddenly you're like, hey, look, it's a candle holder. So, I mean, it's, it's just luck of the draw. <laughs> so, so then if, if somebody said, Gary, I'd like to have three bowls in walnut and I want them 10 inches in diameter, I want them this high, it, it would, w- would you say that's virtually impossible to create three that are really, really close to the same? Uh, for my setup, yes. Uh, they have equipment out there that are called coring machines. And you can buy them and have it in your garage and make bowls that are they're mirror images of each other all day long. But I don't have that kind of equipment. And I'm not set up or, or looking to be to make manufactured bowls that are exactly the same. I want everybody to look at them and go, oh, my gosh, this one's so neat. And then look how different this one is. And then yeah. look how you know this one here changed. And it's like to really keep it as an art because once you become production-based, then it loses all of its artistic touch, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Now, I also saw on your account, I saw a few pins. So, like, are you creating those on the lathe as well? What was it? The pins. Oh, ink pins, yeah. Uh, yeah. Lane, so- Lane, you have to say pins. <laughs> pins. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't you know where we live? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I'm from North Carolina. I would have thought that would have just meshed right over. <laughs> I, it's weird, though, for me because I'm from North Carolina, but I was born in Michigan. So I've got that northern southern blend. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. We, we, we should have done some sort of translation there. <laughs> so, well, actually, you, he would have got it if I had said ink pen. I think it would have been okay had I said that. <laughs> yes. So, so Gary, tell tell us about the ink pens. Uh, I do make those as well. Uh, when I bought my lathe, the gentleman I bought it from included a bunch of tools for ink pens. And ink pens are a lot of fun. You can turn them really fast, and they, they can turn out really pretty. But an ink pen is a one-shot thing, to where if you do screw up, there is no forgiveness. It's back to the drawing board. But uh, I've made ink pens. I've made perfume bottle holders. I've made, uh, let's see, a coffee scoop, all those things. Anything you can think of that have a wooden handle or anything like that, I've made. But they're a lot of fun to make. Alex, my uh, my middle son, who that was the first thing he made on a lathe, was, was his own ink pen. Wow. Spatulas, wood spatulas, you can do that kind of stuff as well, or is that different? Uh, you could turn the handle. Uh, uh-huh. Any kind of spatula would be more like a spoon carving, and that's a totally different hobby there. Wow. Boy, man, it's, uh, I, you know... And we'll we'll give your account uh, at the end here shortly, so people can go and check out the bowls that you have. Uh, by the way, good photo. I mean, who's doing the photography and the marketing of this stuff? <clears throat> oh, oh, it's hundred percent there. 
nice lighting, nice photographs, got that soft background. Um, and that's really, it's really nice. You guys have done a good job. Thanks. It's, re it's really fun to, to have so many things that we can do together. And the, and the fact that, you know, you've mentioned this before, but the fact that you have the kids involved and they are enjoying some of the talents that obviously the, the two of you have passed on to them. Uh, that, that's really exciting. I do, before we go much further, I do want to jump back to when you finish a piece and you said you like to work on them when, when the wood is green, do you, so you can actually, do you, did I mistake you? And do you put a coating on it after it's done or do you let it harden and dry out and then you put a coating on it? No, I put the coating on it fresh off the lathe. It's a, uh, it's a shellac and denatured, denatured alcohol and linseed oil mixture called friction polish. And I, uh, I put that on there, probably three or four coats and, uh, I'll buff it out with uh, burlap and give it a nice smooth shine to it and away it goes. And that also helps prevent cracking because it kind of encases the wood and it really slows down how fast the water evaporates out of it. Well, with these bowls, um, are you working on this from a sales standpoint? Are you working on commission? Are you just kind of creating them and then you make them available for people to buy? Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I do both. <laughs> I'll, I'll make one and uh, so, somebody will buy it and I'll just throw it on Instagram and say, hey, this is available. And then somebody will message me and go, oh my God, uh, I missed it. Uh, can you make me another one? And I'll say, sure. Yeah. So uh, with Christmas coming up, I think I have an order of almost a dozen bowls across the board of multiple people who are wanting different bowls. Everybody wants to give them for Christmas presents. Yeah. I'm like, I'll do the best I can and see what we can do. So that's kind of where I've been working on here lately is getting some of the some of the custom orders knocked out of the way on the podcast we often talk about we encourage refinishers to make sure they put their signature somewhere on their furniture pieces tell me you've got your signature or stamp or something on your on your bowls i've had a customer who will not buy one from me unless i sign it and i'm bad about it i'm just like ah, it's just you know to me it's just a piece of wood and i turned into a bowl and it's not a big deal but everyone keeps telling me you've got to start signing these things so I, I've been looking around here lately at either a stamp or a brand. I really ought to get on that a little more than what I what I what I have been, but I'm getting better at it. <laughs> well, now, Sierra, we've we, I think you and I have talked about this. You you do sign your furniture finishing pieces, right? No. Sarah. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're terrible we have both talked about that though getting a brand i mean yeah. i think it would be it would be perfect uh i i don't know why we haven't <laughs> i think it's just one of those things like yeah we should do that and then oh can you change the baby's diaper <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe some other things that are a little more important in the priority scale it, it, yeah. no i know what you mean it, it is hard especially when you got a system and things are rolling you've got work you've got family and then to do that additional thing, sometimes it's challenging. But I, I do know there are some businesses out there where you can give them your logo and they'll create a brand for you that, um, you know, that you can you can heat up and stamp into your pieces or you could get little plaques that you could, you know, uh, attach or you could just sign it with a, you know, um, your paint or Sharpie pen or whatever, even underneath or on the back. I don't know. To me, that just adds such value because I often think about these pieces, whether it's something what Gary's working on or pottery or furniture or just, you know, obviously canvases that people are painting. And you think about having something that's been passed down through the ages, you know, or through the years and to see a signature, yeah. It just makes a big difference, I think. And it, it yeah. properly attributes the artwork to the person, the artist, you know, so. Yeah, I agree. We'll have to, 
we're going to have to have a special podcast where we check back and say, okay, tell us, maybe if we do that and put a date on it, then it'll get moved up higher on the list. Yeah, like an accountability podcast. <laughs> right, exactly. Hey, I like that idea. That would be a really cool segment to the podcast, our accountability podcast. Yeah. Are you doing what we talked about doing? <laughs> That'd be great. Well, now, I can do a story about opening up a box of Sharpies from Amazon. Be like, look, here's my brand stuff right here. Yeah. I from Amazon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? You can't get any cheaper than that by just using Sharpies. But you know what? At least you'd have your name on it. So you'd, you'd be fulfilling the uh, the request here. So, Sarah, because we talked about this, you know, with Gary's Bowls and the, the prize, you know, because Gary's a prize sponsor uh, this month for the Zebra Review. Um, but these can be used in staging. Do you find yourself using a lot of his, um, pieces for staging? Yes. I've really tried to make an effort to, since he started doing them to pull one for, for every piece. Um, you know, they're really great to just throw like a, you know, some greenery in or some wooden beads. Um, they're, they're really versatile. Um, some are just used one, I think just in a recent piece, uh, Gary sent one to her and she's been using it, putting greenery in it. It's really cool to see other people using them now. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really neat. Well, I mean, what a great art form. It's a bit like pottery. I mean, I, I've never done pottery either. In fact, I mean, I always wanted to try pottery, but just never had the opportunity. But uh, Gary, now you're making me want to do the wood turning. I just don't have the equipment. Maybe I could do some old fashioned way of just like, I don't know, what could I get that turns it fast enough to... Gary's probably rolling his eyes around right now. Isn't he? <laughs> you, put, you can touch it to the ceiling fan. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's really safe. It'd have to be an incredibly soft piece of wood, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. They make, they, I've seen guys make lays out of old sewing machines that you use with your feet. Really? And you can actually do it. It's slow, but it's the same concept. You're just spinning, spinning a, a piece of metal that will hold a piece of wood. So yeah, it's feasible. I don't recommend it unless you got a whole lot of time to kill, but I tell you, it's a cheap hobby to get into. You're a couple hundred bucks in and you could really be, be making something fun. So do you just go to lumber yards? I mean, you just got folks that are, you know, that know what you do and they're just, you said, so you try to get free wood. Is that, I mean, how's that working out for you? Uh, really well, because you know, springtime, summertime, we have storms and knocks trees over so I'm not yeah. looking for lumber. I'm looking for a log. And a lot of people are just like, get it out of my yard. I don't care what you do with it. I don't want it sitting in my yard anymore. And there's not a huge demand for firewood here because we do have some cold winters, but not like, you know, the Northeast where it's like, you know, I need 40 ricks of wood to be able to survive the winter. So, you know, here it, people are just like, you can have it. So I yeah. check marketplace and you know, keep an eye on, you know, who had a tree cut down? Well, so-and-so had a maple tree cut down. Hey, I'll clean up your mess if I can have the wood for free. And they're like, go for it. And I pick it up, bring it home, and then cut it up and go from there. Well, it looks like from your stories that you guys have woods around you. You guys may have just cornfields one day if you decide to just <laughs> cut the woods down. <laughs> what happened to all your trees? Yeah. I would advise that, though, because there's something about woods that's really nice around a home. Yes. Well, this yes, has been really is. interesting. On behalf of Zebra and the Zebra Review judges, we really appreciate you being a prize sponsor this month, Gary. And let me just say, you have offered incredible prizes. Three hand-turned bowls for first place, two for second, and one for third. You're, you're going to be 
you talk about 90 minutes roughly, that's kind of like a full Saturday or a couple Saturdays of work. Yeah, they're, uh, I finished I finished them up yesterday. I spent most of the day yesterday in the shop and I knocked them out. I had them kind of already blanked out and had an idea of where I was going with them. And it, it really didn't take as long as I thought it would. And they're already done, ready to go. They're so pretty. Oh, man. Uh, this is going to really entice our listeners. And that's what we want to do here. So listening friends, please do three things. One, make sure you follow Sarah's refinishing account. She does incredible refinishing work and her account is sitting pretty home decor on Instagram. Sarah, is that also the other social media venues? Is it sitting pretty home decor? Yes. By the way, you have a new logo. It is I very do. nicely done. Yeah. Did you do the logo or did you have somebody do it for you? I found a really small shop on Etsy. They're based out of Luxembourg. Berg. Yeah. I feel like I feel like I never say that right. Um, <laughs> and they were so awesome, like great communication. We went back and forth and they like helped me, you know, sort of get in my head what I wanted. And I love it. I wanted something, um, you know, that would grow with me. It was simple. Yeah, it is. It, it's very, very nice. So listeners, make sure you do, number one, make sure you follow Sarah's account at Sitting Pretty Home Decor. Number two, follow Gary's account at Gary's Big Bowls. And number three, enter the Zebra Review September contest. The theme is study desks, which we feel is quite appropriate with school starting back. And so many are doing school from home as well as many folks are working from home. So lots of study desks have been refinished in the last few months. Well, Sarah, Gary, you guys are terrific. We love seeing you both and your family on Instagram stories and following this amazingly talented family. I mean, it's like, what are you guys going to be creating next? You guys got us <laughs> on the edge of the seat here. <laughs> you don't, you don't know. <laughs> well, seriously though, thanks again to you both. Thanks so much for having us, Lane. Thank you. We just had the pleasure of highlighting our featured artist for September, Courtney Weisel. You can listen to our podcast interview with her on last week's episode 30. You can also check out our work on thezebrablog.com. In the meantime, we wanted to continue this celebration of Courtney's accomplishments by having you hear from a few of her friends. Hi, Courtney. It's Jeannie, not Jan, <laughs> from Blush Vintage. Congrats on being Zebra's September featured furniture refinisher. That's a mouthful, but you earned it. You're such an awesome human, and I'm so glad that I didn't listen to my parents and I met strangers on the internet. Whatever it is, girl, you have it. Your work is consistently creative and unique. I know it's yours even before I see who posted it. And every time I'm like, wow, she's gone and blow my mind again. It's distinctively subtle, but over-the-top gorgeous all at the same time. I'm just, you know, I'm a big fan of yours. So, and you know, I'm also in awe of your organizational skills. Where would the Furniture Art Collective be without you? Like, hashtag life goals. So, cheers to you, my friend. I feel so lucky that our paths crossed on the gram. And I can't wait to see what your talented, beautiful brain will come up with next. Hi there. Um, this is Susie, and I'm the owner of the White Plum. Um, I'm also one of the judges for the hashtag Furniture Art Collective, and that is where I actually had the pleasure of meeting Courtney for the first time. And, you know, I honestly don't know how she flew under my radar for so long. Courtney has an amazing eye for design, 
And now I actually find myself, you know, secretly stalking her page for inspiration. I just can't say enough good things about her. I've learned so much from her already, and I can't think of anyone more deserving. Hey, Courtney, this is your Furniture Art Collective buddy, Emily of 1379 Design. I'm calling in to congratulate you on being Zebra's September featured artist. I had admired your work before we got to know each other better, especially your stenciled MCM gems, but I more than admire you now. I respect the heck out of what you've overcome to be the fierce, multi-talented, reinvented furniture designer that you are. The best is yet to come, Mama. Have a great one. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by Zebra, makers of the high-end yet affordable line of application-specific paintbrushes. Zebra's new website is up at enjoyzebra.com, and we invite you to take it for a test drive. Test drive, because it's more than an ordinary product website, there is plenty of inspiration for you, as well as a really cool quiz that guides you to the ideal Zebra paintbrush you need for your painting application. You can peruse the products that range from our paintbrushes, of course, to our latest apron designs, to our new paintbrush kit offerings. That, I might add, come in a really unique canvas bag, and any purchase over $35 or more means free shipping for those living in the United States. We love having you, the listeners, reach out to us to share your refinishing tips and your questions for our Ask a Refinisher segments. Patty from Midlife Revivals recently contacted us with several tips on being frugal in your refinishing business. We know when refinishing as a business, you have to watch every penny you spend. Otherwise, your profits will be minimal and you won't be able to survive. We thought her tips, because she had several, should be shared in a discussion segment with her. We not only want to share them, but talk about the importance of frugality in business. Patty, it is so nice to have you on Zebras Before and After. Welcome. Thank you, Lane. It is so good to be on. Yeah, I'm just excited to share some tips and talk to you. Well, we're eager to learn a little more about you. So if you would, give us some background about yourself. Okay. As my name um, says, I I call myself, I'm in the midlife part of the journey. I have a husband. I have three adult daughters, a fur baby. I really didn't um, get started on painting on a regular basis until around that close to that 50-year-old mark. So that's the name, Midlife. Midlife is a great name because that means that you have gained wisdom and that means you can give wisdom. How's that for you? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I think I saw on your Instagram account that you are a nurse. Yes, I still hold my license as a registered nurse, but I actually retired from nursing after... 30 years um, back at the end of 2017, so almost three years ago, to pursue this more full time um, doing refining or furniture mm-hmm. refinishing. So that's why I really didn't get started, you know, painting until, you know, a little later in life because between being a registered nurse and raising a family and stuff, this kind of happened later on. Actually, yeah. when my adult daughters moved on to get their own homes. That's when we, um, or I started to refinish furniture for them and for my own home. Now, do they help you in the business at all? You know what? They're very supportive as far as, you know, they share all my, you know, Instagram and Facebook. 
posts and stuff. You know, they all are kind of doing their own thing. So my husband is probably the only one who's really in the business with me. And that's more just on the lifting and helping me fix things kind of thing and just being my soundboard. So just by default, he gets that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, it allows you guys to spend more time together too. So yes, that's nice. Exactly. Yeah. When you were a nurse and of course, raising children, were, was this refinishing business? Was this something you kind of thought about periodically? And Honestly, you know, this never was in my head. I, for probably as long as we've been married and stuff, I mean, in the beginning, um, I, I kind of go back. My first experience with doing anything was my parents had given a, my husband and I, or future husband, just this bed, this full-size bed or whatever. I don't even remember. It was stained or something. I was like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll restain that. I mean, this is, this was 32, 33 years ago. You know, there was no chalk paint or anything like mm -hmm. that. And I was like, yeah, I'll restain that. I probably more like painted the stain on. I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> you know. And then, boy, after that, I really, I didn't do much for a really long time because, you know, I was working 12-hour shifts as a nurse in the hospital. And then we started having children maybe three years into our marriage and, off the bat, we had twins for our first. So that threw me really into motherhood very quickly. And so I, you know, looking back, I probably didn't even pick up a paintbrush again until I would say um, those kids were, you know, in like middle school, grade school, mm -hmm. that age and stuff. So, um, and then that was latex paint. I remember doing like a little table um, dresser thing that uh, my grandma had had. And actually, I just refinished it recently. Again, it's in my um, adult daughter's, their guest room when they come home, and it's in a really soft pink. But that has been in our family a very long time. It was my grandma's. But then when I painted it the first time, was latex paint you know I again I didn't know what I was doing and then that when it got to be I think it was around the end of 2012 um, our twin daughters had just graduated from college and one of them was going to be moving about an hour away um, to an apartment for a teaching job and so we started doing you know some thrifting and stuff like that secondhand stores and um, yeah she would find some things and we just happened to be in one of these stores and I came across this stop paint called chalk paint. I was like, yes, <laughs> you know what? Hmm, this kind of interests me. So the people that were selling it in their booth were offering a class like, you know, just a few weeks later or something. So I was like, yeah, let's, I think I'll just take that class. And uh, the class basically just kind of walked you through, you know, what is this kind of paint? We played on some little like sample boards and stuff like that and you know layering and distressing and waxing and all that and then I just kind of from there just started doing things for, like I said for my daughters um, mm -hmm. and for myself our home you know I had like again I had some of these old pieces that had been passed down from grandparents I had a little sewing cabinet that was my grandma's and the finish was really bad on it and so I did that 
So that's kind of how it happened. Um, and then probably about two years after starting, you know, out doing this and learning about the chalk paint and mm-hmm. more and more, about the end of 2014, so yeah, almost like six years ago, one of my daughter's teaching friends had seen her stuff in her apartment. And she's like, oh, do you think your mom would do something like that for me? I said, I was like, well, okay, maybe, maybe I'll do that. I mean, it's a young gal. It's not like, you know, someone who's had this established house for a really long time. And I'm like, oh, I don't know how I can do doing that for someone like that. But I'm like, okay, you know, she's, she probably won't have quite the expectations that someone, you know, like myself, who's, you know, had a home for a long time. So anyways, I said, yeah, yeah, I could do that. So she came, backed up her car one day, and this was, like I said, a fall of 2014, so maybe almost six years ago. She backs up her car, and I thought I was getting like one piece. She sent me pictures. I had, she said like a coffee table or end table. I don't even remember what was the start of it. But she backs up her car, and she's like, oh, well, I have this, and I have this, and I have, and she starts pulling out all these pieces an end table, a coffee table, a little bookshelf, (laughs) a TV media cabinet, a desk. Being that I'd never done anything for anyone else, I was like, okay. Hmm. (laughs) That's a bit overwhelming. um, Yeah, it was. It was really a good way to get thrown into it. And and she had, you know, no expectation I had to have it done by a certain time. She was Mm -hmm. actually going to be moving and so my um, daughter, who was friends with her, we ended up renting a trailer and bringing up all her things to her new place, which was like a couple hours away um, when I was finally all done with it. Uh, she wanted a lot of the stuff in turquoise color. So I don't paint in turquoise much anymore, if you ever look at my pages and stuff. So, um, but yeah, it, that's what she wanted. And so I did that. And that was kind of just the start of it. And then I was, I had a coworker who asked me to do some things. And, you know, it just led to church friends asking me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, it didn't, it never was going to be something I thought, oh, when I retire from nursing or anything like that. So I was still doing nursing during this time. Um, I only worked part-time a couple days a week. So yeah, it was manageable to work on my off days and I loved it. It was just so much fun to do something that wasn't so stressful. You know, I've heard people say it's therapeutic and for someone who's a registered nurse and I've heard several nurses that are, you know, in the furniture community, community yeah. saying that too it is just so therapeutic just to i just put my music on and you know just paint away it's it's yeah. that's how it all started we've talked to several as well that um we're nurses or are nurses and okay. uh, and do furniture refinishing that sounds like a really good transition for you though from from working and being able to sort of get your hands and feet into the process of refinishing and then to be able to to um, eventually do it full time. Let's talk about being frugal. Yes. Before we dive into it in, in depth, though, I have to ask you, have you always been frugal? I mean, is this a part of your nature to be frugal? To a point, yes. I come from a background and I, my I have Dutch heritage in my background. And I don't know if you've ever heard that being where you live, but 
people here in Michigan will always say that Dutch people are very cheap and frugal and stuff like that. And so I guess I was kind of raised on, you know, you use your man, money wisely, spend wisely. And so I just, you know, yeah, it's kind of ingrained in me. I wouldn't say I'm to the point where I will reuse tinfoil or, you know, there's some people that are just really, you know, <laughs> you over the you top. You know where to draw the line. <laughs> yes, yes. And, yeah. and I know my limitations on, you know, what I will do as a DIYer versus mm -hmm. I know someone else needs to do that. I am not going to try to figure that out and do it wrong. So actually, I don't even like to paint walls. I would prefer someone else did that. So yeah, yeah I'm frugal in some respect. Where do you say you, you don't cross the line if, as far as being frugal? I mean, you know things that you can be frugal on. What things do you not, are you not necessarily frugal on? What type of things as far as refinishing? First of all, the first thing is, is the products I use. Going back to, back to that 2012, you know, when I came across chalk paint and there weren't too many out there at that time. So, you know, I used what I had found at that store um, and started using that for, like I said, my daughter's. But then as more products came out, I started kind of, you know, trying them out. And so I have found there are certain paint products that I will definitely go towards versus others. And because I know that they have such good durability, um, some of those, even those products that I used initially, I, I don't, I don't use that brand anymore. It, I wasn't happy with the results. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, the paint products, I have to feel comfortable with them on my own stuff before I will offer them to my clients. That is one of my for sure things. I mean, that has always been what I stood behind is my paint products are well tested before I even put them on my um, clients furniture. Mm -hmm. And then the top coats, of course, too. And then um, I, I'm kind of ashamed to say this, but I really application tools I didn't, you know, in the beginning, I would, again, I was taught by, you know, this person when I went to this class is just using, you know, just an inexpensive little brush. And so I really wasn't a firm believer in spending tons of money on brushes because I, actually I was really bad at cleaning them in the beginning. So um, I was like, I don't want to throw all that money away doing that. So I didn't want to spend like $20, you know, whatever on a brush. But then as I started to do the social media thing, when I started my business, I kept seeing people talking about the zebra brushes. And I was like, hmm, maybe I'll try one of those. And, and again, being frugal, I was like, well, these are only like $10 or whatever. Okay. So mm -hmm. You know, I think I want to try one. And I actually think I also won one through a contest too. But mm -hmm. I think I had tried one even before that. But once I had tried one and I'd won one and I was like, I am hooked and I will make sure I keep my brushes clean <laughs> because, but they just, they're just, oh my goodness, I can't say enough good things. So now the things I am not frugal on are my paint products and my application tools. Um, so that's where I draw the line. I will not 
skimp on that. And I've had people say, oh, well, just make your own, you know, chalk paint or, you know, that. And but that's not tested. That's not, you know, proven to stay on good. So, no, yeah. I won't. I won't go there. It's so interesting when you, and I've just actually thought about this as we're talking about being frugal and we're talking about things that you won't be frugal on, things that you will be frugal on. But it's when you really get to think about the word frugal and what it means, it's actually frugal to spend money on something that you know maybe cost a little bit more money, but it's got the quality that you need. Because if you don't, you're going to end up having to spend more money to either redo it or replace it. So it's kind of an interesting term when you think about the word frugal. And thanks for mentioning that. I mean, obviously we don't, you know, when we when we have conversations like this, we don't put prerequisites about mm-hmm. you have to talk about our paintbrushes. Mm-hmm. But we have always tried to make our paintbrushes top quality, but make them affordable for people. Yes. So um, yes. that's something that we're really proud of and excited to be able to continue to do. Um, so we're, we're, um, as we continue to develop brushes in the future, we, we will do the same thing. One other thing I was just going to say is, um, I have done a couple of like workshops. I don't know how that's going to go this winter because of the whole COVID thing, but luckily I got my workshop in back in February before everything shut down. And, um, that was only my second workshop that I had done. I had just done one the winter before as well. And so for those, I was like, well, you know, I don't want to make it too expensive for them, for them to come to the class again, because of where I live, you know, people are again, frugal and, you know, they don't want to spend a lot. And so I just bought, you know, little chip brushes for everyone to use. Um, they all did a little step stool, but, um, I show them, I demonstrated with my zebra brushes how much nicer they are. And I had mm-hmm. a couple of the people in the class say, you know, Patty, why don't you just charge an extra $10 for the class and just give us each one of those next time? Or, you know, when you do Mm -hmm. another class. And I said, well, so you would pay for that, you know, the extra 10, because I'm giving you one of those. And they're like, most definitely, because they tried out my zebra brush compared to their chip brush. And just, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, a chip brush doesn't even compare to even you know, anything really. But I was like, hmm, okay. So just to let you know, if I ever do another um, refinishing class workshop, I will definitely be supplying everyone with their own zebra brush because (laughs) yeah, it just does make such a difference. So again, and it's reasonably priced for us who are very cost conscious. Well, let's discuss a few of your tips. I know folks are eager to hear uh, what you've learned over the last several years. So go ahead and share some of your uh, furniture refinishing frugal tips. All right. So with refinishing furniture, you know, we've talked about what I will not skimp on, but um, to save some money, I like to use um, things that I can recycle to clean with, to store my product in, to spray paint on. And some of those items that I, you know, try to hang on to just from our own home before I just like either donate them or I throw them away are like old clothing and bedding. Again, with the old clothing or bedding, usually it's things that are not um, really in that good a shape that I would want to try to donate them. So I like to repurpose them in other ways and things that would be included in that list would be like t-shirts, socks, sheets, blankets, 
So with t-shirts, I like to, well, first of all, they have to make sure they're like a lint-free t-shirt or material. Mm-hmm. But I like to just, um, you know, sit in front of the TV an evening or whatever and cut up them into sizes that are like a washcloth size or whatever. And then I use them to wash my furniture, clean my furniture before I um, refinish it. I also use um, those for like cleaning up paint drips. And then I don't feel bad just throwing them away afterwards after I've used them. So that's what I do with t-shirts. With socks, again, lint-free, you know, there's always socks around that have lost their mate or they have a hole in them and so no one's wearing them. And some of the things I like to do with the socks or a couple things are that I like to actually apply my stain with them. I put a glove on my hand and then I put the sock over the glove and I just, you know, pour some stain like I was just doing this tabletop and I just pour some stain on and then I just really just kind of rub it in. Again, early on when I first started staining, I would actually buy the staining pads and I just felt like I I couldn't quite feel what I was doing. And so just using that sock on my hand, I can just feel what Mm -hmm. I'm doing so much better. And I feel like I'm really just pushing it into the wood and then um, wiping off the excess. The other thing I do like to use the socks for, and I know that there have been other people that have mentioned this, so it's not anything new, but... Um, is applying, um, if I'm using wax for a top coat over my pieces, I will use, again, a lint-free sock and just, again, put that on my hand and put some wax on my hand and just really rub it in with that sock. So it just, again, it's just the, the sock on my hand is just like a perfect tool. It helps reach into all the nooks and crannies that maybe your brush wouldn't be able to get in. Um, on those pieces, like in the drawers and stuff like that. This actually gives you reason to be happy about that sock that doesn't have the pair. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> what on earth? I have never been able to figure out what happens to this other sock. I mean, this happens I, all the time. I know, but I don't have enough people living in my <laughs> home anymore. So I don't have enough of those anymore. So I even have reached out to people on my stories, Instagram stories, and said, hey, if you got you know, you've got a bunch of kids and you've got extra socks lying around. I'll take them because, yeah, I don't have that as much anymore that that's happening to me. No, is that's a mystery. It's just a mystery because it's like they go together in the in the uh, laundry basket, but then they don't come back together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's funny. I know a lot of other people do this, but sometimes we'll take a little um, safety pin and pin them together yeah. at least they can't depart from each other yes yeah well especially when they're those little baby little kid ones then they definitely get lost but not my big husband's socks don't get lost very often so the other thing i will use is sheets blankets quilts i like to use those they're great moving blankets so like the other day again with this dining room set we had a trailer and you know you hook everything up inside um but then i like to stick like old like sheets or blankets or quilts like around um between Mm -hmm. the straps and the furniture just to protect them from any rubbing while we're traveling so i always hang on to um, those old things 
rather than just dump them. You know, you're talking about the different type. Well, you're talking about blankets, and and that certainly makes sense for quilts and blankets for moving. Uh-huh. But going back to some of the other materials that you have around the house, like and you, when you think about clothing, you know, you mentioned lint free. Do you ever find like, are there certain materials that you just absolutely don't use? Like, because there's so many different types of fabric today, right? Uh-huh. And there's blends. Yeah. yeah. I mean. You probably kind of have to know what material works good for what type of thing that you're using it for. I mean, have you found that certain materials just, you just don't even use them for, for anything in this industry? Yeah. Anything that's kind of more like a, I'm not good at my fabrics, but polyester, you know, that kind of, but more yeah, right. what I'm talking about more would be like, everyone seems like they have so many t-shirts nowadays, you know, from, and my husband, every time we go to a parade, he just always seems to accumulate t-shirts and those do not let off now the one thing i will say is i mean for cleaning purposes i'm fine with using colored ones um but i don't like to use the dye color ones Mm. like if i was like catching a drip or something on my white painted furniture or anything then i try to stay with lighter color t-shirts another thing um that i actually just got a lot of because i was running out of my scrap cleaning stuff My daughter um, that just graduated from college had a lot of t-shirts that she wanted to make a quilt into. Um, So she's into sewing and stuff. So she actually cut out the parts of the t-shirt that she was putting on her quilt. So she had all this excess t-shirt left and she was just going to dump it. And I said, hey, hold on. I'm taking that stuff and I'm going to use that. (laughs) Because that was the exact kind of material I really do like. It's soft. It does not let off any lint or anything. And um, yeah. yeah. So anyone out there who's had graduates and they did quilts with t-shirts or anything that uh, or are going to hang on to the excess of the t-shirts for your cleaning. Another thing that I like to recycle from our home are plastic food containers um, that have lids. And those would be examples of like our whipped cream, sour cream, butter tubs. I like to use those for um, my paint and my stain. Rather than dipping my brush into the actual paint can, which could contaminate uh, the rest of the paint for future projects, um, I like to pour some of the paint into one of those plastic containers. And then if I don't use it all, Um, or if I'm going to use it for the next coat after it dries, I will just cover it with the lid and use it later. I also like to use, if we go out to eat, sometimes some restaurants will give you kind of a plastic shallow takeout container. And um, I like to use those for like my top coat or for as a small paint roller tray. So I always hang on to those. And then another thing that I like to hang on to is when we get packaging supplies, you know, something comes in the mail or whatever, or it gets shipped to you. Um, Sometimes there's thick pieces of styrofoam in those packages to protect what's ever in the box. And I like to take some of those styrofoam boards and use them when I like spray paint my hardware. So I'll insert the screw of that hardware into the styrofoam and it keeps it sitting straight up right. 
uh, rather mm -hmm. than it's laying down and I got to roll it over to spray it. So inserting it into the styrofoam and then just kind of spraying around it works really good. And then speaking of spray painting, I also like to um, hang on to some large cardboard boxes usually and break them down so I can lay them out and spray paint on those. Like, you know, if I have um, a big piece that I don't, I'm not, I don't spray paint too much, but more like, like a chair or mm -hmm. um, just, you know, those things that have the styrofoam boards are sitting on. I like to set them on a box instead of putting them just on the grass or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then I guess one other final thing was that um, I always like to hang on to old toothbrushes. That may sound weird, but they do work good for cleaning in little crevices. Just like, like if I use like a paint stripper, I know wire brushes are probably better for that, but sometimes just a little toothbrush does get that, the junk out of those crevices. So always hang on to a couple old toothbrushes for some kind of project. Just make sure they don't end up back in the house in the bathroom, yes. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No way. No, they're pretty bad. Anyway. These have been some great tips and I know newbies will find this segment helpful as well. Uh, so we really appreciate you coming on. These are tips that uh, our listeners probably either said, yes, I do that too, or hey, I need to start doing that. So thanks for taking the time to share with us and we hope you have a great day. Yeah, thank you so much. You're very welcome. And um, yeah, I hope it helps someone. And um, I really appreciate your time and allowing me to talk about them. So yeah, you have a great day and week as well. The Zebra Review monthly contest is underway for September and the theme is study desks. Entries are open until September 30th, 2020. Many of you have been creating the ideal home workstation for your kids' school spaces by refinishing study desks, or maybe you just refinished a desk because your spouse is working from home. Either way, we are eager to see them and recognize the top three. Use the hashtag, TheZebraReview, and you'll have your piece before our judging panel as they will choose three winners. We will be featuring a guest judge each month with our Zebra Review judges. The guest will be the first place winner of a previous month's contest. This month's guest is Jen with Perfectly Imperfect Furniture Restoration. She was our first place winner for July. Great prizes await the winners from Paint Couture Paint, D. Lawless Hardware, Surf Prep Sanding, Gary's Big Bowls, who we just featured, and Zebra Paintbrushes. All pieces refinished from January 1st, 2020 to September 30th, 2020 are eligible for entry. We would love for many more people to discover the Zebra Before and After podcast. Please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast directory. It really does make a huge difference in the rankings. And thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Zebra Blogs Before and After Furniture Finishing Podcast. Today's episode is also featured on the zebrablog.com along with contact information for today's guest. Your comments and suggestions for future episodes are always welcome, and we encourage you to share those by clicking on the podcast slide in our header at thezebrablog.com. That's zebra with an I blog.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and happy refinishing.